Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 10th of September 2012. I always start off by suggesting that newcomers, and it's always new, newcomers coming into the broadcast, they should make good use of the website cuttingthroughthematrix.com and they'll find they could past probably months just listening to all the audios going way back over the years where I place together the, the system for you to give you shortcuts, understanding that you're really in a controlled society, totally controlled, and you have been all your life. So your parents and your grandparents too. And I go into the organizations that flourished in the 1800s and published many of their works during the 20th century, early 20th century especially, uh, about their big global plans and the remaking society uh, from scratch, basically, uh, giving new cultures to the people that would destroy the old system and how the state would take over all the, all the fallout and deal with it with government agencies galore, which we have today. And But as I say, too, the big boys wanted to take over all the world's resources and run the world properly, as they said. Uh, none of this making your own mind up, making personal decisions anymore. It's too catastrophic and chaotic for them to handle. So uh, you come into a world now where all the big decisions are made for you, and that's that. By people you'll never even hear of, you won't even know their names and who they are, all specialists and experts in different big massive departments and global departments as well across the world. So help yourself to the audios there. Remember, too, you are the audience that bring me to you. You can keep me go and keep going by getting the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com because I don't bring on advertisers as guests. I certainly could. I'd make a lot of money at it too. But this gives me a more free hand to say what I want to say. And um, if you want to support me, you can buy the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com and go into the websites and you'll find out how to do it. But from the U.S., remember, to Canada, you can still use personal checks and you can use international postal money orders from the post office. You can send PayPal or you can uh, send cash. It's up to yourselves. Across the world, Western Union, MoneyGram and PayPal once again. And as I say, if you don't understand the past, you won't understand the present, because it's true what they say, those who command the past always command the future. That power never gives itself up, it has thousands of think tanks to ensure that it, it and itself, of course, and their own organizations go on. It's this first rule in government, too, is this the preservation of government is the first thing, same in a big corporation with the world. And that's what we're living through. These big boys have their world clubs, even through the G20 and others. Uh, they formed, you, you didn't elect them to, to form these private clubs, and they're throwing your money all over the world to make their better future for themselves and their offspring. Not the third world, mind you, but the big corporate boys who own it all. That's what it's really down to. So as I say, you know, you, you don't, you must understand how you got to this point. You've got to understand your governments are nothing but fronts because every president, prime minister for a hundred years belongs to the main private organization that runs the world. Council on Foreign Relations is, is commonly called. 
and its, its main body is in London, which is near, it's called the Royal Institute for International Affairs. Go into the histories of it, go into the histories written by their own historians, because they have their own personal historians, since after all, they have the real history of why things happen since they cause and bring on the wars, so that they can amalgamate countries and have their big global government down the road, and also to plunder the country's resources. So that's the world we're really living in, folks. And as you go through all the changes, this is a century of change, remember? The academia called it that in the 20th century. The 21st would be the century of change. What they meant was all the big systems that were planned for a long time would be put fully into force uh, because the old society has been pretty well destroyed. Uh, the, the marriage system is destroyed. The family unit is destroyed. The community uh, spirit is destroyed. People don't stand up for anything much at all these days. Back with more now after these messages. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're back cutting through the matrix. And talking about the big changes, of course, is planned changes. Changes that aren't done by little groups here and there, but big think tanks across the world funded by foundations. They're called philanthropists, you see. These, these philanthropists are, uh, com- they comprise their own particular big group that run the world, really. In fact, they put the presidents and prime ministers in, and that's all documented by Carl Quigley because he was the historian for the group that selects them. And that's how it's been, it said, since the late 1800s. The British ones, the American ones, Canadian, uh, the whole British Commonwealth, and some other countries too, and even the EU now, are all pre-selected before the public gets to vote for them. And it's all rigged, in other words. So you've got to understand that as a secret, understand their history and what you're living through. Most folk actually today have been trained not to care. Really not to care. Most folk don't want to know who's running them or the scams that are going on, as long as they can have fun. That's how they've been trained to be uh, egocentric and um, and just seek the pleasure and avoid pain, even in topics of conversation. And the big boys that gave us this present stage and then the present culture we're in today, some of them didn't even live to see it, but they planned it and wrote about it back in the 30s and 40s, the last century. And they got together and they published lots of books, and Lord Bertrand Russell and others have uh, mentioned, uh, and he belonged to but four of the world's top groups that give us the whole culture for this new, this new century. But he talked about the, the, the egocentric society they'd create. Even narcissism would be used until people are separated and in love with themselves. And such people will ignore unpleasant stuff. They'll always seek pleasure to avoid pain. And that goes with topics as well. They don't want to hear. That's too, oh, I don't want to hear bad news. And because of that, uh, they help to spread the disease of ignorance, which enables the elites to manage you much better. Plus, when you get to a stage, you see, of, of the gradual changes, uh, you've got to really go step by step through gradual changes, a few generations. But once you get to the obliteration stage, we've obliterated the past and utterly turned society upside down, all of its culture is destroyed, basically its traditions are destroyed, then you can really ramp ahead pretty fast. And that's what we're seeing now, is, is a rampaging ahead as you go fast. And trainers, through neuroscience and psychology, 
uh, into this new way of living where you're going to be taught austerity and how austerity is good for you. And they, they'll tell you that all these counselors are already getting trained to come out and, and take you and his patients down the road and to make you feel happy about being poor. You see, it's all part of it too. And it will work because, you see, you're all trained to believe in experts. Again, Bertrand Russell mentioned that part. The public will not think for themselves. Uh, they'll be trained to, to only take the word of experts. And that's happened a long time ago, as you well know. And we are the most well-informed slaves that's ever existed with communication today. And for over the years, I've talked about even the groups put out and funded by the big foundations that were trained to go in and attach themselves to your local councils even as they amalgamate using the weather uh, chaos they're creating, CO2, greenhouse gases, all that stuff, as they spray us all like bugs from the air, and they don't talk about that part, and and how they've drafted them on, and how uh, they have to go, go into uh, ecology first before they can do any big programs in your local area, and how you must pay more taxes for it. I've gone through so many articles on that, I've lost count, but they're in the archive section at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. Nothing new at all as they regionalize the world. And they've got lots of regions, of course. Everything comes down to tens, like the Kabbalistic tree of life. And, uh, and they've got the, the whole world broken up into tens, and then inside your own country, tens again. But uh, that's the system that they planned over 100 years ago. It's old stuff, actually, very old stuff. And they've been working at it and implementing it for over 60 years. Now, part of it, too, is to train you that, uh, you know, that life isn't that precious. We already accept that because in America, especially in other countries, too, there are more babies going up the chimneys uh, in abortions than get live births. That's a fact. So people have been trained that their children are a problem. Just like Margaret Sanger said, uh, children are weeds, you know, and they would train the public to see them as weeds. And that's what they put through through the feminist movements. And, oh, my God, it ties you down and you can't go and have fun and have parties, etc. And, and go for a career. That's happened. So we're getting devalued in life, that is. And folk are accepting that. We don't care so much when we're slaughtering people across the world as we used to. It doesn't matter how many photographs come across from the Middle East or anywhere else. No one really cares. And that's a fact. That's if it doesn't really affect most folk. Again, egocentric. I don't want you to see that as bad news. I want you to feel happy. It's all about feelings, you see. Now, part of it too, as Greece goes under and the, and the skyrocketing uh, suicides go on, at Spain to Italy and other countries to follow. But the whole world to go this way. Remember, as the big boys uh, give you less and less and less and charge you more and more and more and scam all your disposable income from you through extra taxes, etc., and high costs of living. That's where your disposable income comes to. Because you now are in a post-consumerist society, according to the United Nations and the Club of Rome. Now, one of the ideas, too, now that life is cheap is all that, is to make you see it in a different way. You understand it's all to do with perception management. Everything is perception management. People don't only really have opinions on things, they have feelings about things now. Like you've been taught to have feelings. How do you feel about this? You see? And one of it is the used to the death idea. We know that euthanasia has been pushed big time, and it, it will be pushed to the, to the front uh, in some countries if it's not already. And you'll have different opinions about it. They've also allowed folk in places like Holland, if, 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 if they have a, a bout of depression, that they could get euthanasia uh, you know, rather than treat them. Yeah, euthanasia is the way it goes, cheaper that way. 
So here in England they have uh, joy of death, it says, and Bournemouth aims to break taboos. Wedding fairs are commonplace around the country as a happy couple is prepared for their big day, but mention the com- concept of a funeral fair to help plan your final farewell, and the initial reaction might be a combination of shock and surprise. But in Bournemouth this weekend, more than 150 people from inside the funeral industry, they're as bad as lawyers, by the way, it's what a racket funeral industries are, are gathering for the particularly titled Joy of Death Festival. Joy of Death. Now, in its second year, not only does it exhibit uh, which coffins to buy or what hairs to ride in the back, it also recognizes the unsung heroes of the bereavement business. For the first time, they would get their moment in the spotlight at the Good Funeral Guide Awards. So give themselves awards now. And they've sort of a mini Disneyland set up uh, where you can go and have fun as you play uh, into the, and get used to the idea of death, you see. It's all going to be a fun thing. And... Um, and it's all catch on big time. Well, the idea might seem morbid to some. The awards and conference aim to debunk the taboos about dealing with death and grief. Hollywood style, of course. Well, what else? All cancers start in California and spread out across the world, eh? That's what they used to say in Britain. The idea of Bournemouth, a resident Brian Jenner, he turned his love for the U.S. television series Six Feet Under into a chance to showcase what can be made of planning uh, for your send-off. So they're bringing Hollywood into it, etc. You can have a little, you can go to this little Walt Disney place in England and go into a death ship, that kind of thing, go off to Valhalla and, and so on. And have fun as you, as you have a good laugh at death. Most folk, of course, will be happy as long as it's not their own at the moment if, if they're having pleasure. Now, British people are committing suicide to escape poverty, more and more of them, like every other place. As austerity bites in, you see. Is this what the state wants? It says, in the last few months of his life, Craig Monk attempted several overdoses and was described as vulnerable by his family. An accident a few years ago had resulted in partial amputation of his leg and he suffered unnecessary and anxiety-inducing obstructions in receiving state assistance. It really makes it as hard as it can be if you haven't just come into the country from such like an illegal alien or something. <laughs> if you're actually born and you've got a problem, you don't get all that money thrown at you. Just even though his disability was clear for all to see. Over time, he slipped further into poverty. The ends could no longer meet. Finally, the fear of there being not a light at the end of the tunnel overwhelmed him. And Mr. Monk, 43-year-old from Burnley, was found hanging in his home in October last year. Well, governments are very happy about that because it saves them cash. They'll put him down as a useless eater now because he's not a producer and consumer, which is a definition from the United Nations of a good world citizen. And this article goes on and said, I'd love to say this is an, an anomaly, a one-off. There has to be someone who is psychologically unhinged and motivated by his own selfish considerations. He says, I cannot, for there is far more to it than that. As a right, there have been almost 150 deaths related to sick and disabled citizens who fear being plunged further into poverty as the benefit system designed to protect the vulnerable increasingly cuts people adrift, leaving them to fend for themselves. And for some people, the solution is clear and irreversible, as it appeared to be for Mr. Monk. And for that matter, Helen and Mark Mullins. The Mullins had physical and mental disabilities to contend with and spent months fighting the notoriously complex disability process at the Department for Work and Pensions. See, this is Orwell's 1984, of government departments, you see. Starved literally of sufficient financial assistance, the couple's weekly food intake was bolstered by the vegetables received from a soup kitchen in Coventry, a 12-minute, 12 12-mile uh, 12 round trip that they'd made weekly on foot. 
They couldn't afford a fridge and so kept food in the garden shed. Eventually, they could no longer stretch their non-existent budget to heating their home, and they spent their remaining months living in one room. And um, captured on camera by a roving reporter shortly before their death, Mr. Mullins criticized the system. He says, they have no problems suspending benefits. He said, they just put a tick in a box and they alter your life. But yeah, if it was coming in from another country, they'd be throwing cash at them and putting them up in a big, big, expensive house. Because those folk might, may eventually produce down the road, but those, those who have fallen down below the poverty line, and maybe they're getting on in life too, no, 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 useless eaters. Gross is all deliberate. It's all deliberate. They've discussed this at the top, in, the, in all the top meetings as well. But mind you, Austerity also has the neuroscientists and psychologists and using a lot of TV promos and things and it'll even be incorporated into dramas that you'll see to, methods to make you feel good. Psychologists are really into it. Australia has the know-how to boost well-being. Well-being. It doesn't matter when you're going bankrupt. As long as you feel good about yourself, it's going to be okay. No matter where you're sleeping, even on the street. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix, talking about the new system where you've got to be feel good, doesn't matter what happens to you, just feel good about it. And this is talked about uh, the top levels, the United Nations, uh, Bernanke has mentioned it at top meetings, even with the Council on Foreign Relations. Uh, this is how they're going to con the public into the next step, is to train you to feel happy about things, and, and not gross domestic product, but gross well-being, you see. Well-being, as long as you go across domestic well-being, that's the new capital you see, as, the, as they plunder you and, and give you also much money to the banks, according to your, your government's been boring and boring for donkey's years, and a donkey's years is a long time. So, here's Australia going at it, of course, and see the big boys have pushed us through the parallel government, the real government, not, not the ones you vote for, but the ones run by the big foundations and philanthropists who are the international moneylenders that run the world for many centuries. So make the slaves feel happy. And so Australia is in the middle of a well-being boom. This is a PR blurb, obviously. It's been handed out for them to, to publish. Thanks to a surge in the value of the population's collective know-how, the, the Saturday Age uh, Lateral Economics Index of Australia's well-being, which measures improvements in welfare across a range of indicators, not just economic output, rose nearly four times faster than gross domestic product over the past year. I guess they're handing out happy pills along with it too, you know, as they give you your layoff checks. The well-being boom has been driven by a marked rise in the nation's human capital or collective know-how, which is a key component of the index. This is utter rubbish, you see. This is, a, this is marketed strategy, this article here. Uh, this more than uh, offsets sluggish growth in another key component, which is the national disposable income, which is being crimped by falling commodity prices. So, yeah, your disposable income is going down and down. I told you this is the, they do this as you, because you're in a post-consumer society. Austerity, they call it. The estimated value of the nation's well-being reached $343 billion. The estimated, this is well-being. It's rubbish, you see. An increase of 3.9% or $13 billion was indexed as fastest quarterly increase since it was first published last year. This is when they came out with this gross domestic well-being. 
The annual growth rate of index, which takes account of income, know-how, the environment, health, inequality and job satisfaction, accelerated to 14.3%. You understand we're talking utter fantasy here. Gross domestic product released by the Bureau of Stats last Wednesday revealed annual growth of 3.7%. The well-being index has been growing at, at more than twice the rate of the GDP. Well, that's what they came out and said. Remember when they came out with the first con with Bernanke and so on? We'll train the public into gross domestic well-being and forget the GDP, right? So, so it's Nicholas Gruen, the chief executive of Lateral Economics and lead author of the index, said the growth, uh, the strong growth in the value of human capital augured well. What does that mean? An augur is something you dig a hole with. Maybe they're going to bury us of all, all into it. As long as we're happy when they bury us. The index shows that our ability to invest in ourselves is not only paying dividends, but at this stage it's outweighing some of the bad news that's arriving via the declining terms of trade and problems in the global economy, he said. So it's utter rubbish as they train you to, to be happy, you see. Train you to be happy, regardless of your circumstances, so you don't, won't hang yourself and end up with bad stories in the papers. That upsets a lot of happy people, you know. You know, who are egocentric and egocentric. And Scotland's way ahead of it, you see. They've got whole articles out on gross well-being. And it's not about the money, it says. This is the headline. Uh, Scott's index measures the feel-good factors. It's about feeling good, for goodness sake. And it says a technique pioneered in Scotland to measure the quality of... And by the way, Scotland is, is one of the... It's finished. It's finished, folks. Finished. The articles I've had recently about Scotland is the, the poverty this across that country now, just like John Stuart Mill uh, wanted it to be eventually, with the Scots and the Irish, is, is staring in the face. So it's pioneered in Scotland to measure the quality of life and to be used all over the world. The Human Kind Index, designed by Oxfam's Scottish office, aims to measure what we need to nurture that feel-good feeling. That's all it is. See, un- unhappiness is all in your head, you understand. That's what it is. It's not what Freud said, it doesn't matter what makes you ill, just, just take the pill, get back to work, and, and, and do the same things that caused you to be ill in the first place. It uses 18 measures including health, transport, experiences of work, and even access to parks to calculate quality of life and social justice. And it's got related, related articles and links too on councils urged to plan an island's quality of life. Don't wait until it's too late to act in Africa. That's another one they're doing. They're doing the whole world now. So there you go. It's all about how you feel about things. You know, that hungry feeling in your belly goes away after a while when you're starving. Don't worry about it. Just feel good and be happy. This is a massive psychology has always been used on the public and they don't know it. It has been your whole life. It's in your movies too, it's in, it's in your comedies, it's in everything. You don't even know what's been done to you. In the EU too, this new Soviet Union, this parliament that nobody wanted, uh, it says here that motorists now face an EU ban if they modify their car. And over in Britain and some of those countries too, in Europe, they have a Ministry of Transport test every year. I've seen cars go through them. And they get underneath the cars every year before they'll pass it roadworthy and they'll bang with hammers on the floor and everything. Try to, you know, what to try to get a hole put in it. If they put a little hole in it, or even a pinhole, and I kid you not, a pinhole, they'll fail that car for the test. 
then you have to pay them masses of amounts to fix it before they'll pass. It's, it's like blackmail. But they want to get cars off the road. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm back cutting through the matrix in the world of Big Brother, you see. Because Big Brother is everywhere now as they just dictate to the public. They've trained the public, you see, that the government's not there to serve you at all. And it never was, of course. But so they've really trained you to accept that. And you just listen to diktats from above and you comply. Or, or if you can't comply, you commit suicide or whatever. Anyway, it says here, forget all this stuff in this article about the classic cars. No, no one's, they're, going, they're not going to take classic cars off the road. But the EU is, is uh, bringing it on its own version of the Ministry of Transport test and it's uh, understood to make it impossible for older cars to modify their vehicles to bring them up to modern safety standards. So they want you off the roads, you know, the folk who can't afford the brand new shiny ones. Because remember too, in Agenda 21, they said eventually you'll be living in your own little communities and the authorities will run it all, uh, and authority agencies, and there'll be no private vehicles, just um, just uh, essential vehicles only, and that's police, fire, ambulance, and the military to shoot you, and stuff like that, when the time comes. Unless you can become happy before before that, and you won't cause any stink. Just your feel-good, well-being. So anyway, that's that's what we got nowadays, diktats from above, and we're run scientifically, you see. Oh, it's all science, apparently. Yeah, that's what they tell you. And also... I'm putting up again that article is to do with allergy, immunity, hypersensitivity and vaccines, the hidden link from vactruth.com because it's an interesting article and people should really get into it and, uh, you know, see what's going on to your, to your own bodies and your children because the massive allergies, apart from the constant spraying from the skies, it's just sprayers like cockroaches without having to have the decency to admit it to us, um, and the inoculations you've had throughout your life have really crippled you. Never mind the food you're eating now as well. Because it's just laced with heavy pesticides from the big boys who are part of the war industry, for those who don't know that. And also, a little article, it's from the ACLU, which is interesting. It says, the biggest threat to free speech and intellectual property that you've never heard of. So we've seen in the field attempts at the SOPA and PIPA and the floundering anti-counterfeiting trade agreement. Intellectual property laws are often poorly discussed or are constructed, hastily proposed, and ultimately both ineffective and potentially abusive. Now, the latest threat to free speech in guise of IP, Internet Provider Reform, is a multilateral trade agreement currently being negotiated in secret, it says, by the Office of the United States Trade Representatives, USTR. That agreement, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, or TPP, would reportedly include dramatic changes in intellectual property laws, changes that could potentially permit the, the patenting of plants, animals, and medical procedures. And while some of the proposed changes run contrary to an enacted federal law, the USTR is not only pushing for TPP, it's doing its best to avoid congressional oversight. For instance, they recently rebuffed a request from the staff director on the Senate Finance Committee's International Trade Subcommittee to review documents pertaining to the negotiations. Senator Wyden, chairman of the subcommittee, wrote, uh, and it says, um, 
a couple of blurbs about it. It says, my office is responsible for conducting oversight over the USTR and trade negotiations. To do that, I ask that my staff obtain the proper security credentials to view the information that USTR keeps confidential and secret. This is material that fully describes what the USTR is seeking in the TPP talks on behalf of the American people and on behalf of Congress. More than two months after receiving the proper security credentials, my staff is still barred from viewing the details of the proposals that USTR is advancing. So I'll put that up tonight too for those who care. And Cryptagon has some articles here on uh, the Gates Foundation. Now, when you go into the Council on Foreign Relations, the uh, Royal Institute of International Affairs, same group, and uh, Milner Society, same group, etc., etc., um, they talked about running the world with the parallel government with their own foundations. These same boys wrote that, and we run that way today. And they have all the think tanks and so on. They own the think tanks. And they're not voted in by anybody, but they tell governments what to do. They even put politicians in, into government and bureaucrats too. And you, you, you don't get to pick them. They pick them for you. And these philanthropists were to be given more power as time went on. Even an article came out from the CFR about the foundations recently, and it mentioned that the big philanthropists like Bill Gates and so on would step in and, and help the world through its problems and, and take over things that governments used to do. So Gates Foundation funds anti-vaccine surveillance and alert system and on-demand vaccine delivery via low-cost unmanned aerial vehicles, it says. And it says here that uh, on-demand vaccine delivery via low-cost unmanned aerial vehicles, George Barbastathis of the Harvard-MIT Division of Health Sciences and Technology in the USA will lead a team to develop unmanned aerial vehicles that can be deployed by healthcare workers via cell phones to swiftly transport vaccines to rural locations and alleviate last-minute delivery problems and improve cost, quality, and coverage of vaccine supplies by unmanned aerial vehicles. How's that? They probably spray you, you see. But you haven't been doing all this already? When they spray the skies above you, it's not just the weather they're modifying, folks. There's a lot of stuff involved in this. For a, to make a, a, domos, a, a domestic, domiciled, obedient population, you see. And kill a lot of us off too, because they know what the death rates from all. They've been keeping stats on it since it started full time in 1998. They know what's happening. Go into your pharmacy stores and look at the massive vials of anti-allergy and uh, and asthmatic uh, um, medications that are just poor, flourishing like crazy. But that's normal. It's a new normal, you see. And this article here is from the Telegraph, and it says. As David Cameron may have learned when he read the PPE at Oxford, property rights are a cornerstone of our liberty, security and civilization. Wiser political thinkers than Dave have long understood this. Now, this is an important thing for Americans to listen to, even though it's from Britain. Here's the Virginia Bill of Rights, precursor to the U.S. Declaration of Independence. This is what they used, based it on. So it says that all men are by nature equally free and independent and have certain inherent rights, of which, when they enter into a state of society, they cannot, by any compact, deprive or divest their posterity, namely the enjoyment of life and liberty, with the means of acquiring and possessing property. It wasn't pursuing happiness, just happiness. It was possessing property. It was altered, you see, later in the U.S. one. 
afterwards. <laughs> because if you don't have property, you're on the street, folks. And, and, and in reality, if you have property and it's yours, no one should be able to kick you off of it, including the government, or tax you out of it. You see? So there you go. Namely, the enjoyment of life, liberty, with the means of acquiring and possessing property and pursuing and obtaining happiness and safety. See, back in those days, they didn't believe in gross well-being if you're, if you're poor. You know, you know, you have to start off with somewhere that's got a roof over you and that's yours. And even if it's another great d- depression brought on by the bankers, you can still live in your little place without being kicked out because you don't have tax money. And you can't be happy if you're on the streets, folks. It says here, Samuel Adams, the natural rights of the colonists are these. First, a right to life. Second, to liberty. Third, to property. Together with the right to support and defend them in the best manner they can. The right to support and defend them in the best manner they can. And here, most trenchantly, is a philosopher who inspired them, who was John Locke. Whenever the legislators endeavor to take away and destroy the property of the people, or to reduce them to slavery under arbitrary power, they put themselves into a state of war with the people, who are thereupon absolved from any further obedience. For the heart of thinking, I'll I'll repeat that last part. Whenever the legislatures endeavor to take away and destroy the property of the people, or to reduce them to slavery under arbitrary power, they put themselves into a state of war with the people who are thereupon absolved from any further obedience. This is time for a revolution then for the theft of our property rights is exactly what's happening to us now under our notionally conservative Prime Minister. This is Tom Britton, back to Britain now, and his increasingly desperate and damaging attempts to, to position his collapsing administration as the greenest ever. I'm thinking especially of the ongoing renewable scam. The wind farm industry is surely the worst offender. Some vexatious twerp complained the other day about my claim that the wind farms reduce property values by 25% and 50%. Actually, if anything, I'm underestimating the problem here. I know of cases where properties have been rendered unsaleable by wind farms because of the racket they make. That's constant, incredible noise. Never mind how ugly they are. But whatever the exact figures, I think those of us not in the pay of Big Wind or trotting out propaganda for the preposterous or devious Renewable UK would all agree that the very last thing we'd want on our doorstep would be a wind farm and that we certainly would never dream of buying a property near one. So it's not a single one of the wind farms blighting Britain would have been built without state incentives in the form of renewable obligation certificates or feed-in tariffs and legislation which makes it very hard for communities to prevent wind farms being built in the area we can reasonably say that the wind farms represent a wanton assault by the state on property rights. We expect such confiscatory measures for the common good from socialist regimes, but from a conservative-dominated coalition, it's a disgrace. Remember, too, when George Bush was in, they passed a law that if a big corporation decides they want your property to build some mall or whatever else they want to build it, then they've got the right to do it, and you can't stop them from... They'll just take it from you. Who's fighting back here? They've declared war on you. Who's fighting back? See, governments have always done this down through the centuries because they're owned by the big bankers, international bankers, who don't believe in you lot having property rights. Themselves, yeah, but not you. 
He says, but it's not just the wind farm industry which is complicitous to the scam. Uh, there's a fascinating cover story in this week's Spectator about the UK hydropower industry, which turns out to be very nearly as damaging, unpleasant, slimy and untrustworthy as its nasty elder brother, Big Wind. It came as a surprise to me, like many of you probably, I thought till I read it that the hydroelectric power represented the acceptable face of renewable energy, not according to Pipa Cookson, uh, though, who revealed it to be yet another taxpayer-subsidized boondoggle for rent-seeking scuzzballs, which produces next to no electricity and which, just like wind farms, causes immense damage to wildlife, in this case fish rather than birds or bats. But the bit of Coutson's expose that particularly interested me was her anecdote about Nottingham Angling Club, which in 1982 forked out uh, £150,000 for the fishing rights to one and a half mile stretch of the river, Trent, above a weir, which is now about to be converted to hydropower. The quality of their fishing will almost certainly diminish, and there are stories like this from all over the country, where it's wealthy fly fishing enthusiasts who've paid a fortune for a prime stretch of river in Hampshire or Dorset, or an ordinary working man's club like the one in Nottingham, people are going to suffer as a result of the state-sponsored drive for renewables. Again, as with wind power, the only reason these hydropower schemes are going ahead is because the government subsidies and incentives for those canny or cynical enough to get in on the scam now are the big crooks themselves, you see. They're the ones who benefit from, from all. Always, it's always the same thing. So again, what we have here is a clear case of the state arbitrarily confiscating people's property rights because of his desire to be seen paying lip service to the green religion. And uh, But it's quite interesting, as I say, that you don't have property, for instance, and you can't hold on to it because of taxes, even if you've paid off your mortgage, which is the length of to your death, your mortgage. You know, if you, if you manage to still pay your taxes, or you can't pay your taxes, you're kicked off. And the, the government, therefore, has declared war upon you. What, what do you do when someone's declared war on you? What do you do, folks? Hmm? What do you do? Oh, well. This article here, too, is about the link between the 9-11 aftermath and up to 50 types of cancers federal governments to acknowledge as thousands are set to claim compensation. Since the National Institute for Occupational Safety Health is expected to announce the findings tomorrow, about 400 first responders or people who live near the site have died from cancer since 9-11. The Zadroga Act initially did not cover cancer because there was not enough evidence linking it to toxins emitted at ground zero. And so the government says for the first time is on the verge of recognizing that people who live near the ground zero and the first responders got cancer from toxic dust from the scene. The National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health is expected to announce the findings uh, tomorrow. The Institute is responsible for deciding whether cancer should be amongst the illnesses covered by the James Zadroga 9-11 Health and Compensation Act. And the 50 cancers that they've found so far are expected to be included. It'll mean that thousands of people who are sure they got sick in the aftermath of the outrage will be eligible for compensation. Well, you see, the reason they drag it on for so long is it seems the tainted blood scandal that we told most of the victims to die off and then there's less to pay out. That's how they work things, you know. <laughs> also tonight, too, an article is called The Five Dancing Israelis Arrested on 9-11. Everyone forgets that. There's lots of documentary film up there. And they were caught, these guys, by the FBI, who were dancing on top of a building as they photographed the towers getting hit. And it goes on from there about, there were two of them were definitely connected to the Mossad. The government tried to hush it up. 
uh, Israel was, was negotiating with the U.S. to get it all quietened down. But I remember on, on an Israeli television, and I hope it's still up there on, on YouTube, I've got a copy here, but they were interviewed three of these guys in Israel on Israeli TV. And the guy says to them, why were you over there? And they said, we were over there to film the event. That's the translation, the direct translation. We were over there to film, film the event. Before he said that, he says, you see, well, we've always lived under terrorism. He says, and we were over in America to film the event. Now, how would they know it was going to happen? How would they know, even if they heard it through other parties were going to do it, how would they know that the building they were in wasn't going to get hit? And no one wants to talk about this. After all, it was Ben Laden did it, wasn't it? All all by himself. Those fuzzy videos that they, they put out from the CIA. Even though Ben Laden said at the time he had nothing to do with it. And it was probably dead anyway. He had nephrotic disease, the kidneys, they were, he was dying. It was interesting that the French and even the CIA interviewed him in, in France, I think 2000 or 2001. He was dying in, in a hospital in, in, in France at the time. They actually went in and he, it was in the papers, they interviewed him. Doesn't matter though, it was a good boogeyman, eh? The flu shots linked to higher incidence of flu in the pandemic year. Well, there's nothing new in that. You get the flu shot, you end up getting the flu or something worse. And actually a lot of things worse, along with the flu. So it says the new, new Canadian research uh, suggests that only people given a flu shot for the 2008 to 2009 season seem to be more likely to get infected with the pandemic virus. That broke out at the time and then they tried to poo-poo it and hush it all up. New Canadian research backs suggestions that only people given a flu shot for the year 2008-9 season seem to be more likely to get infected with the pandemic virus, so it's been verified. But don't forget they won't get your flu shots this year, folks. Back with more after this. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix, and we'll go to Rachel from North Carolina. Hey there, Rich. Okay, is George there from Texas? Hello? Hello, George. Yes, I, w- I just have two questions. Yeah. A woman can think that they're superior than the rest of us, and what makes them believe that they have the right to do what they're doing? I c- I could you repeat that? Who, who, who did you say... Had felt superior? Yeah, what, what makes them believe that they're superior than the rest of us? Uh, because their families have been down through the ages collecting more and more power. And they actually have a little test amongst themselves. They say that in the first three generations, if their own offspring don't go wayward and spend the money and blow the money and, and so on, then it, they prove that they're of superior genetic stock. And, and uh, of course, they get matched up for, with their genes with their marriage partners. So that's that's the little test. If you have a son who goes off and blows the cash, then that's the end of it. You, you wouldn't get into the elite clubs. So if you can show stability down through generations of accumulating more power and wealth, and your 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 
your children are married off to what they call their equivalents and other from other big families, then you you are a member of the club. That's one of the, that's one criteria for it. And what about the spiritual side? Well, they don't. Well, the, it depends what scripture you're looking at, or how perhaps they view the scriptures themselves. Remember that the whole thing about the scriptural thing that was going to be debated forever, it comes from a religion that was all to do with eugenics for a people. Remember, and it's all begatting from whom. It's very important who got who, who got who, who got who, all down through that. It's a, this money system uh, goes back for thousands of years, and it's very important as a hierarchy of of who begats who, etc. So, so genetics and eugenics has been a part of this from the very beginning. Okay, Alan, thanks. Okay, thanks for calling. Uh, and yeah, folk tend to, to forget that whole part of it, especially Christians, uh, that there's a lot of begetting and awfully, awfully important to keep the records and genealogies for those involved. And there's a hierarchy amongst moneylenders, of course, and aristocracy as well, with their own plans for the world. And that's very evident since they're putting their own guys in as, as presidents and prime ministers in other parts of the planet. Uh, they, once they get into austerity, so their central banks, privately owned again, uh, are, are all part of it. Carl quickly goes into the central banking system. This is all these banks were privately owned, often by the same handful of shareholders, and uh, they are also the ones who issue every country their money and the debt. And eventually, they, they will run the world. You won't need parliaments anymore. You'll have specialists under uh, uh, under the level of the bankers, all working for the bankers, running you scientific specialists. That's what they're doing. That's where we're all going. And that's how it's been for some time, actually. Very old plan, and you're living through the changes as we go into it. This this, this is the time of change, this century of change, where all all of the big plans have to be accomplished, including the depopulation the eventual forbidding of having children without permission, um, and the, the, the genetic screening for those with the genes who will, will be allowed to breed and those who will not. We already see that happening as they take genes out of, of uh, sperm and ovum uh, in case there might be bad genes. Bad genes are those who might rebel and fight them in the future. That was written about 60 years ago they would do this, and they're doing it now. From Hamish from myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God or your gods go with you.